Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbalay, and this is being recorded live on Skype, March 30th, 2019. Model Rail Radio, let's just say it's still the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. I did have some speculation associated with this intro. My view is, these are open calls. Anyone can join them. There's no, you know, it's not an invited list. It's nothing it's curated in any way. It's just the luck of the draw associated with who calls into Model Rail Radio. And I think through the summer months, I have been doing every couple of weeks, but certainly through the summer months, there are things that are coming up. And I think I'm probably going to move to an every three week cadence intentionally just to get the podcast out and not to force people to, you know, miss out on their summers, basically. So Michelle and I will be doing a bit of traveling over the next couple of weeks and we're starting the three week cadence a little early. And then, yeah, we'll probably record a couple of weeks and then, you know, start the three-week cadence through the summer months because now the daylight is strong and the gardening is great, at least in California. It, um, yeah, you know, maybe fewer model rail radios through this period of time. I wanted to give a shout-out to two long-term listeners and participants, Stephen Vaughan Jr. and Mike King. Stephen Vaughan Jr. and Mike King both listen to my other podcast, my rules are better, and they've taken about seven pounds of lead off my hands. I went to the post office today and sent two very heavy but relatively small parcels of a wide variety of historical miniatures and other bits and pieces to them. So thanks to Mike King and Stephen Ward Jr. for making my podcasting room a little bit less lead-filled and a little bit more to the potential of model railroading actually appearing. So it is a beautiful summer's day in California, and I have the benefit of having Mike O'Dorney on the line. Mike, my understanding is you're you're sitting in a hole currently, is that correct? Yes, I am in a hole. I am planting a tree. I have a pine tree, mm-hmm. and I am planting it. <laughs> it's about a, a two-foot cube is the mm. base, the root ball. Beautiful. So I have dug down far enough into my into my good soil, so now I'm into this heavy, thick clay, yeah. which is, uh, <laughs> which you kind of, you don't really dig it, you kind of actually carve it out, if you know what I mean. Almost certainly. Uh, no, I'm well aware of that, that rich clay. So mm. I, I am doing clay work, so I, uh, I, am, I am on the verge of doing serious modeling. I uh, uh, retired a year and a half ago mm-hmm. and, and went just basically straight forward into rebuilding my backyard, um, Getting it exactly the way my wife wants it. Very um, good. And uh, saying, okay, uh, what do you want to do here? Uh, last weekend, we had a guy come and take out 18 cubic yards of wood from an old deck. And, uh, and uh, um, so I uh, got that out, and it's just bare ground now. And probably around um, May, late April or May, we'll start having him come in and build build kind of an artificial grass area. Mm. And uh I, I I used to tell people that I uh, I uh, I saw a turf company on Fox advertising on Fox, and I didn't realize it was Fox because when the guy came out, it was really fake grass. But, mm. uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, <laughs> bad, bad political joke. Yes. So, uh, but let's let's um, talk a little bit about this because similarly, when you came to visit for show one hundred, yes. you may recall that we have a house in the back of our yes. house. Right. Now, it, it had been the, um, I don't even think I've narrated this on Model Rail Radio, but let me narrate this on Model Rail Radio. There is a very curious plumbing problem in San Jose 
where when it rains heavily, the sewage system goes backwards. Right. And we had that experience happen with regards to this property. And also there have been various leaks in the roof and a wide variety of other things. Just because it was a kind of toxic dumping ground, my wife and I haven't really, it's my fault. Let, let me take full responsibility here. I hadn't done enough work on this part of our property. However, we have impetus to renovate that area now because my wife has an 18-foot-long, what they call a long arm, but it's basically a giant computerized sewing machine, which is currently in our living room. So (laughs) we're going to have the thing renovated, but it also potentially... I think this could be a cohabited space. So I, too, similarly have recently been dealing with guys with big trucks that have just been hauling a lot of stuff. They took out our garden shed as well, which was a real eyesore and not particularly well-liked. So, yes, I'm looking forward to the potential of, I don't know, I mean, are you flirting with uh, with something model rail related in the garden? Is that where this conversation is going? Uh, yes, but it's a very unusual type of uh, paradigm. Mm. Um, I am flirting with the idea of having modules. So I'll have a large patio mm. with probably a dozen modules that uh, um, should there be a quick rainstorm, I can just throw some Harbor Freight tarps on them. But mm. they would essentially set up real quick. In other words, they would uh, they'd kind of snap together like Legos and uh, you wouldn't have the horrendous uh setup time you just simply um you know use like like the pins you use when you do your dining room table and put the leaves in Mm -hmm. it those uh furniture pins and you just line the two up and then you would have these uh essentially butterfly catches on the two sides that you just twist them and they kind of clamp you know you've probably seen uh things like uh test equipment comes in a big a big aluminum box and you twist these little Mm -hmm. butterflies and unlatch it and you know those things i I have a huge amount of them Mm. And uh, make have them all connect together. And the idea behind that is you could have different kinds of operating sessions by putting t- them together in different manners. Certainly. And and uh, we uh, we do this thing every year called the uh, LDSIG OPSIG Design Weekend, and mm. it's held it's held during the uh, the week between the playoff games and the Super Bowl. And it uh, it there's a design contest. There's no prizes. You just you just enter because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And I, I invariably come to that every year with a module type solution. And uh, so I and I get a lot of feedback. And uh, in fact, I get a lot of feedback, which is great because there's a huge passion for modules. And I think that once you hit a critical mass where you have, you know, one guy who's got like, say, 12 modules in his yard. And if you show up with your two, you know you're going to have a good layout. Even if the only, even if you're the only one who shows up, you got 14 modules. You're going to have a great operating session. Hmm. So, so that's kind of the way I'm leaning towards it. And these modules, and, uh, even though they're outdoor modules, they're HO modules. Uh, actually, yes. However, I I have toyed with the idea of doing it in TT because hmm. TT is well. First of all, operating sessions. There's an old joke among operating people that. If you took a box of Cheerios and wrote steel mill on it and plunked it down on the layout, everybody coming to your operating session would be very happy. No one would complain. And uh, they're, they're very tolerant of plywood Pacifics and half-built leads. And so I, I, I've talked, thought of the idea of doing it in TT because basically in TT, you could go back to the old days and just take, you know, blocks of wood or 3D printing and make – you know, make, you know, uh, you know, 50 boxcars and 30 gondolas and a couple tank cars and, 
all that and get some, you know, collection of locomotives. And with TT, it's bigger than N. So you don't have the problem of whacking it with your sleeve or sneezing mm-hmm. or uh, even when you're on Digitracks, you have that little little piece of telephone wire sticking out the top as an antenna. And, uh, and if you don't put a rubber band on your Digitracks controller, that little rubber, that little antenna will knock over a car on a t on a an end scale and mm. you know end scale is hard to see the numbers and uh mm-hmm. um tt being a little bit bigger and then you selectively pick railroads that had big numbers and uh <laughs> um and then you are outside so you have sunlight so your eyes have good resolution mm-hmm. uh so you kind of um a lot of 10 percent factors and the fact that tt would not be a uh not a difficult thing to do for an obsession because you're not, you know, you don't have to make, you know, super detailed steam locomotives and mm-hmm. passenger trains. You can you can kind of get by with what you can get by with. And with the advent of 3D printing, we're reaching a point where there's enough stuff 3D printed yeah. that that you could say to your buddy, I'll trade you a flat car for a box car, and then you print it on your own machine. And uh, um, the thing is with TT, you need a, a roughly – a four by four inch um, machine, mm-hmm. which is a very common size nowadays. Certainly, in fact, in fact, it's kind of small, and uh, so you you have the potential for making a you know hundred to two hundred car fleet to do a decent operating session. So that's kind of my that's kind of my um, stealth strategy. Uh, there's a there is a desire around here to create a portable layout for teaching TT and TO, timetable and train order mm-hmm. operations. And one of the things you really need is you need enough room between towns because you're writing stuff down and, you, you know, you, you, you have a fast clock, but you can't write fast. You can only write the same speed. And uh, and there's a, a demand for somebody says, just make a module. It doesn't have to have anything on it because we just need fillers to fill in between Certainly. towns. Yeah. So you can go to town on your scenery and uh, and so and that you know being modules, you can set it up like in the lobby of a hotel for a uh, convention. So mm. you'd have um, you'd have you know fifteen or twenty modules going down the. Uh, if you think of a lot of the convention hotels, they all had these big lobbies, and um, you could put them there. And then at night, you just basically put a a uh, you know kind of a tarp or a big piece of plastic over because people then tend to mess with things. I mean, you mm. don't leave stock, but if you just have a bare module, you know people aren't going to bother it. So, uh, and, and you kind of, you know, with any operating session, you know, occasionally damage happens. So you build things. Certainly. To be, so, but so that's kind of my, let's, um, let's pause here because I have a yeah. number of questions. Sure. My, I've seen open air modules, outside modules done in the UK. And yeah. when they do it in the UK, as you say, it's, it's relatively rough and ready. Um, right. obviously the weather conditions are very different in the UK than they are in Northern California where we both are. So in the UK, it, they, I think, have, and I think I've only ever seen it in HO, although doing it in TT, obviously good throwbacks to the UK as well. So what I recall from seeing these layouts is, as you say, very long, uh, industrial, uh, typically, lots of switching options. But the fun of actually doing outdoors, as you say, the lighting is good and you can be, I mean, the scenery is never stunning but it's you know it's for folks as you say that want to do operations why would you not embrace i mean i understand i appreciate the nature the nature of scale for 3d printing and i appreciate the benefit of 
getting just something into a space just is TT equidistant between N and HO or is it slightly closer to HO? I'm not sure of the divisions here. It's, it's a little closer to HO. It's okay. one one twentieth. Okay. So, uh, so, but so, still the ability to get, I mean, the, the reason that they, and obviously in the UK, it's probably double O not HO, but in the reason that they do it in the UK with, with double O is because they have absolutely everything already available, ready to run. What's the TT market like for the stuff that you want to be running? Well, for North American stuff, there are a handful of boxcars, gondolas, tank cars, um, modern equipment like 50 and 60 foot, um, you know, grain cars, stuff like that. It is a limited market, hmm. but it is a, uh, it's kind of, it's growing in a sense like, um, it's growing like the narrow gauge guys, mm. where if you go to the narrow gauge convention, you realize that half the guys sitting around you are also vendors. Mm. And, uh, so, <laughs> or at least have one person companies. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, uh, well, put it this way, you pull $100 out of your pocket, him is the guy who'll hand you back something. And, Most definitely, yes. <laughs> so, and, uh, so, um, so I think that TT is becoming that. It's also, it's, it's a lot more advanced up in Vancouver, Canada, mm, than it is around here. It's it's kind of um, uh, there's only a handful of practitioners in the Bay Area, but mm. the to me the potential given given you don't need a whole lot to do an operating session, and given the benefits of having the uh, uh, plethora of um, you know 3D printing, yeah. and if you go if you go back long enough, the old NMRA magazine used to print car sides, cardboard car sides in the magazine yes and you could cut them out and one of the scales was tt interesting so interesting and i and, and i uh every time somebody has they said hey i got all these old model railroad magazines i'm just going to throw away and i said i'll come get them <laughs> and i'll i'll take home a truckload yes. uh, of magazines to get the the dozen uh tt car sides and uh, <laughs> so uh um but I mean, it was done about like six to seventy-six to about eighty-five, or mm. somewhere in that time frame. Interesting. Um, but TT never really caught on. Uh, it came out of a guy out of uh, um, out of uh, um, Indiana, I believe, mm. and he was an instrument maker. He, during World War II, he made little electric motors, mm. and uh, and then when the war ended, he says, "What do I do with these little electric motors?" And he <laughs> says, "Well, uh, I think I'll make a model railroad." So this guy. Um, HP Products, uh, Harold Price, uh, Hal Price, I think, uh, made uh, a bunch of kits, and there's about probably a dozen steam and diesel locomotives he made that were typical of the 50s, or they were like early Tycos, early Mentos, mm-hmm. fairly crude. But they do add, add a, you know, they add a nice, they, they show up at eBay, and they add mm-hmm. a nice dimension to it. Um, nowadays, with can motors, um, and, and people like Cato, Cato doing awesome end scale, uh, you've got powertrains that you can't be beat. So uh, um, all you need to do is build a body. So that's kind of uh, what I'm thinking. The thing is that I would like to do operating sessions that are somewhat more, um, if you think of it, you normally build a layout in your house. It's one long linear, you know, anaconda that you fold mm. to fit into your basement. And I'm thinking more of like a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Know, kind of like, like BART where it spreads out or mm-hmm. like. Yeah, uh, certainly. The Moscow subway where you have ring roads and, uh, you know, and old Joseph yes. Stalin's infamous. You heard the story about his coffee cup. Um, Joseph Stalin drank coffee like a fiend and, uh, 
he sets his coffee cup down on the map and he says, I want a ring road around here. I want to, I want to be able to get out and go around Moscow about so many kilometers away from the city. And he left his coffee cup there and we picked it up. It left a brown ring. So if you look at a subway map of Moscow, that line is the brown line because of Stalin's coffee cup. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if that's a true story, but it certainly is, is one of those folklores, urban legends. Yeah. So, but I, I would like to do uh, operating sessions of, of, essentially uh where kind of the tower man is a lot more busy than the dispatcher um certainly the dispatcher says well you know here's your train orders you have a destination obey all signals and talk to the tower and uh the tower man would be would be the ringmaster of the circus Mm. but uh, before before we throw to dan picard and talk about the australian narragage convention i have one final question i want to discuss with you i might one one of my coworkers, my manager, in fact, took his son to the, what is it called? The Santa Clara Convention yes. Center for our, it's not even world's greatest hobby. It's something like that. And I always right. have to apologize for that because while the modules are on point, the vendors and other things that are there tend to be really overpriced and not really good for the hobby of model railroading. You and I had a conversation about four months ago associated with having a local show that doesn't suck, a.k.a. Yes. Train Fest West. Now, funny, you sh- funny you should bring that up. Very good. <laughs> um, we have been discussing this. I am in a club up in Sacramento mm. that is one of four clubs that does um, the International Rail Fair. And like many fairground layouts and shows the people running the fairgrounds have suddenly realized they got to tear down these world war ii buildings they got to put up something that's ada compliant they got to get some money out of the county or the town which means they got to rent these places to pay for this stuff because in that industry those fairgrounds managers they're they're kind of like college presidents they go from you know one stop to the next to the next to the next. I mean, they get their promotions based on, they say, well, what'd you do? He says, well, I ran the Placerville County Fairgrounds, and I started out, and we had a million-a-year budget, and then at the end of my four years, we had a four million-a-year budget, and they said, oh, that's a great track record. We'll hire you. So there's a huge incentive to essentially throw out the train shows because they're not really profitable. And like you say, um, you know, I go there, and I spend like 10 or $20, just because I find an obscure kit or an obscure car or, you know, an HO flat car with giant numbers. Because HO flat cars usually have tiny numbers, but I like big ones. So um, we are talking about redoing that whole show as a hybrid of um, we don't want to duplicate an NMRA show. Mm. And we don't want to du- duplicate an RPM because mm. they exist. But a hybrid that is welcoming to young families, yes. young men and young women, exactly. um, some kind of, um, like you say, uh, we want to find, we want to find better quality vendors that, you know, we would like to say to somebody, if your selection of equipment is great, we'll let you in for free. And as long as you're willing to dicker, you're just going to be part of the crowd. You know, you'll be, you'll be an attraction. And, uh, so like you say, it's, uh, we, we started calling it train West. Mm of which there is a train west in the United Kingdom. So uh, so I think calling it Train Fest West US is the best mouthful of description for this thing because <laughs> we, 
we certainly don't want to steal the thunder from the UK show, but then mm. again, I don't think people, I think people will figure that out. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's on our radar and it may not be this year. It may be next year. So we, we want to build it to be more weekend centric mm. than, uh, retirees. Cause the, you know, sadly the NMRA, um, it's losing members mm. slowly because they pass away. And, uh, well, it's also um, because they, well, there's a wide variety of reasons the NMRA is losing members. But yeah, I think in general, it's because the value proposition, I mean, yes, you're right. There is attrition through people passing away. But the other issue is that the value proposition isn't properly explained associated with NMRA membership. And I think well, certainly talking with uh, Christina over in Mawa, the first thing she does in her slides is this is what you get when you join the NMRA associated with a variety of things. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, your point is well taken. Um, The biggest attribute of the NMRA is the people. Mm. And my take on that is it's almost, you almost want to take an eHarmony app, uh, you know, software app (laughs) and rewrite it as a train app so that when you join NMRA, um, you get this list of 20 other people you will probably like. Mm. And, uh, um, and, uh, and I think that, um, to me, to me, it's like you say, it's hard to see the value until you're in it. And then it's, to me, it's worth it. But, uh, if I lived in, say, you know, Placerville or mm. Yosemite or something like that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see the value because I'd have to drive three hours to a, a, uh, a meet, but, um, but yeah, I, uh, um, and when you think of it, basically all, you know, most hobby national organizations, ham radio, model airplanes, um, you're talking 50 bucks for a membership mm. and you get a magazine. Mm. And nowadays, if you opted out of the magazine with some of those, you probably get it down to like 40 or 30. So, mm. I mean, the NMRA is expensive compared to other hobby organizations. But to me, the big thing is the people mm. and how do you communicate that, um, to me, I, I'm working with a committee marketing the convention um, next year, 2020, with local uh, mm-hmm. regional, which is in Concord. And we're, we're putting out brochures, which have pictures of layouts, but I also want to have stories. I mean, I want to have someone flip it over and say, gee, here's somebody 19 years old, models exactly what I do, and he's going to be at the convention. Mm. So I'm going to look him up. You know? So I think that storytelling is just so important to communicating what people are worth. Somebody flips up a, over a brochure and sees somebody that's close to their age, their interest, and, mm. and go from there. But I think, yeah, I mean that's a very interesting that's a very interesting proposition associated with just integrating in a community. I mean, certainly we've had the benefit in Model Rail Radio of things like Facebook, which have enabled people to discover that over you know a few months associated with folks in their area or doing their right. kind of modeling or this kind of stuff, but. Hmm. Lots more to discuss, no doubt, Mike O'Dorney, in future with regards to yes. this particular show. So thank you very much for uh, for calling in today. I'll let you uh, work your way out of the hole, maybe put the tree in it or something like that. But please stay on the line. You know what to do. If anything comes up, uh, please feel free to jump in. Pleasure chatting with you as always. Hey, it's a pleasure. Thank you. And I'll go on mute. <laughs> I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who I'm embarrassed to say, for all the perceptions internationally of the way the US is, I was driving somewhere with my wife this morning and we both didn't know when Easter was. 
But for a gentleman who, where Easter has a whole series of very unreligious related meaning, Dan Picard, what is going to happen with the narrow? It, it is this year that narrow gauge conventions on, correct? It is this year. Every second year we do it, and this happens to be um, very, very near future. And um, the whole pressure thing is happening, so it's certainly happening in the next couple of weeks. Um, Wonderful. Well, so, so when, when is Easter? Easter is this year. When is Easter? Easter, Easter is uh, April 19, 20, 21, 22 sort of weekend. So about, about three weeks away now. Gosh. So, well, thank you very much for talking with us today because obviously if the pressure's on anyone, the pressure's on you. What can folks... Uh, I mean, it's in a new location this year. I'm very interested to hear more. I think we've had on someone, I think John Garrity last recording, who talked about the uh, regional narrow gauge in the area of the, the convention, but... What kind of what kind of interesting stuff can folks expect at this year's Australian Narrow Gauge Convention? Yeah, like I said, it is uh, another new venue and something which was sort of decided when, um, uh, well, basically when I got more heavily involved as far as being, you know, for the, for the chairman for the event is one of the things we wanted to look and have a bit of a connection with our conventions was some sort of a, a link to one of the other preservation Narrow Gauge Rail groups around the area. Um, the previous one we had down, you know, around the corner from my place here in Geelong, we tied in with the Ballerine Railway. This time we've headed up Central Coast because we've found a connection with a place called the Lake Macquarie Light Railway, which is a little private two-foot gauge um, railway group, which has got some really interesting connection there. And we just want to, you know, these little preservation areas, they often don't have a lot of support. So it's a simple way that we can bring a group of narrow gauge enthusiasts towards the area and make them a bit more aware of what this other little railway connection is. So, and then, you know, for future ones, we'll be certainly looking around to see what other, you know, small preservation railway groups are sort of out there and maybe less uh, publicised is what some of the bigger, more, you know, tourist sort of oriented ones are and see what way we can, um, you know, bring, bring a group of people towards that sort of event. And, and make them a bit more aware of them and see if they can get some support for, for the, the work that they do. So uh, heading up Central Coast is about an hour north of Sydney, so mm-hmm. still fairly accessible for a lot of people. Um, it's beautiful sort of holiday spot. It's very, you know, uh, you know all the Central Coast is a you know, fantastic area with all the beaches and you know, sort of waterways and the likes up there. So, you know, for the tourist sort of opportunities while you're up there, it's it's great sort of touring and and exploring the area but at the same time we can um have some really good railway fun while we're up there so mm. so it's the view that i mean i know there's certainly narrow gauge sugarcane stuff in queensland i mean there's a whole bunch of different kinds of narrow gauge across australia is the aim to plot the conventions along where there are these little interesting narrow gauge you know well it's 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 certainly the biggest challenge and um mm. Uh, as our convention you know grows in size it's certainly you know a, a small event compared to say the the u.s national convention uh we we have a an audience of around about 200 people come along to us so they're nice sort of intimate sort of events but um the content of what we actually fit into our weekend is certainly increased every time we've we've run it over you know the 14 years or well, 14 occasions now the some of the hardest part is actually being able to marry up a suitable venue within location of 
you know, the, the, you know, the railway which we may be looking to support. And I, I think I looked around at about 50 different venues before I managed to, mm. to come up with the, the school site that we've got for this one because it's got to have the sufficient space, it's got to have all the parking, it's got to have the easy access and the, the breakout rooms for the clinics and all that sort of like. So there's a lot of boxes to tick before we just say we're going to go somewhere near a, you know, a railway we, we want to try and support. So. Yeah, so that was probably in, in the lead up to sort of putting this event together. I, I probably had a good three or four months of just mm. spending a lot of time on Google Earth, uh, searching <laughs> around for starting off with a list of the the small preservation railway groups and you know logistics of are they in an area which is close enough that I can you know get you know encourage a, a reasonable group of people to travel to that you know somewhat remote area and then is there somewhere big enough that I can host an event of of the likes of the convention um and there was a couple of different little sites where we certainly did look at which would have been great to try and support but i simply couldn't find the venues mm. uh, to, to match and then so the uh, school that up- you're doing it in i mean schools obviously are, are ideal venues for this kind of stuff i've never i this the ranch show that i used to go to in canberra annually was held in a school but i think it was a private school Yep. And I'm wondering, I mean, are the government schools open for these kind of things or do you have to stick with the private schools in order to get into these places? Uh, some of them are, mm-hmm. uh, but I think what the, the the difference is between the the private schooling and the public schooling system, especially over here, tends to be simply the, the funding which is available to the, the school campus. Mm. Um, and sometimes the private schools are a bit more generous with how they use their money. Mm-hmm. So they're prepared to put significant sort of outlays into large sporting venues. You know, the, the venue we've got for this one is a double basketball court mm. size sporting hall, which Gosh. has then got attached sort of classrooms where they'd normally run like physical education mm-hmm. and sort of health science sort of classes and that sort of stuff. Um, then the, the, public schooling sector isn't so much probably going to be focused about being um, maybe not having as much pride behind how big and great their venue is. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, the private school does tend to have a little bit more luxury at, at their hands mm-hmm. to be able to put a, a, a more professional sort of looking venue in, on hand as opposed to... Um, um, you know, just a, a regular sort of you know sporting hall. So, mm. you know, and they also often have a bit more uh, land space with private mm-hmm. grounds and sort of stuff. So, f- as far as security and privacy for ourselves to get in as a group, mm-hmm. seeing um, seeing it is a, a closed door event. It's not you know open in like a, a regular exhibition where Certainly. we're trying to promote people to walk past and find mm. out and come about it. Yes. It is a you know, pre-sale, pre-booking, you know, registration-only event. So uh, it does give us that little bit of privacy to, to get in there and relax for the weekend and, and do what we do for the convention. So. Interesting, interesting. Well, that's all, that's all very good feedback, and obviously a lot of it is Australia-applicable, let's just say. So interesting, <laughs> interesting stuff. Okay, Dan, so you've got three weeks to go. In terms of clinics, in terms of this, I mean, is there any new stuff? Is there any stuff which you yourself are particularly interested in in attending? Uh, Well, I'm doing a clinic myself. So I've done ones in the past on how I do my tree modelling. 
And so the one I'm doing for this one is an extension of that and not so much talking about the trees, but now how incorporate those into the scene and more the, the undergrowth sort of scenery. So it's, it's basically part two of the scenery sort of work I do. So that's going to be a challenge in itself because I've basically got 45 minutes to try and throw together a scene. So <laughs> yes. I don't think there's going to be much glue involved because there ain't going to be any time for that. But mm. there is going to be a lot of um, very quick throwing scenery scenery materials at a scene and, and seeing how it comes apart or comes comes together mm. um, for a quick demonstration. Um, um, so that, that's one. But there's... I know there's a variety. The, the, the tricky thing you've always got with putting on these when you're trying to assemble like a an interesting range of clinics is there's, there is sort of a, a limiting number of what different clinics and stuff you can put on. Hmm. Um, but what we're starting to get now is, I mean, I've, I suppose I've seen conventions for long enough to see some of my seniors who have gone through and given clinics, and now we're getting the opportunity now to see some of the more junior sort of members cool. coming through and now they're giving their take on, mm. on on what's been done in the past. So they're, they're sort of updates on, on what's maybe been provided in the past and they're different. different. T- I mean, even myself doing a scenery clinic, you know, people have done scenery before, but this is my version of it and it Certainly. gives account to what I've learned from other people and yeah. how I've adapted and what I've done for my technique. So um, it's an interesting progression um, really to, to revisit Um and see what's new, but you know we've we've tried to get the a good cross spectrum of of clinics, whether it be talking about um, painting and weathering techniques, is uh, my scenery stuff. There's other people. Uh, we, we've got a, a session which we're running, which is more of a demonstration session, being referred to as the Tech Hub, where <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit more of a um, a hands on sort of session where there's an opportunity for people to rather than the traditional sort of sit down in a classroom and listen to someone, you know, give a presentation on, on whatever the subject is and then you've got five minutes of questions at the end. Um, the, the session is pretty well driven by what, what the attendees want to know. So there's hands-on opportunities to get in and um, run comparisons of different speaker configurations <laughs> when you're talking about DCC sound. Oh, yeah. Um, Martin Jenkins, you know, one of the... Certainly. Um, Speakers on here will come on. He's um, doing some demonstrations using his Raspberry Pi and, and JMI sort of programming. So people have got an opportunity to pick up a mobile phone and hook on Bluetooth and start driving trains. And, and you, you can watch and hear about how this happens, but I think you learn a lot by mm. picking up the tools and, and doing it you know, in front of you and in generally getting a feel for what that's like. Hmm. Uh, same as we've got um, uh, one of the long-time NRA members, Jerry Hopkins. He's doing some involvement. He's sort of well-known down here for his um, decoder tuning and, and installations. Mm-hmm. And so he's given clinics before on, you know, where you have a, a screenshot of using the likes of Dakota Pro. Well, this is an opportunity just to sit there and play and mm and get hands-on and do the changes and hear and see and understand by touching the buttons yourself what, what happens. So, Certainly. And you've got uh, Duncan McCree, who's bringing over some dead rail-related stuff, I understand. No, not anymore, unfortunately. Oh, no. He, he, no, he, that was that was certainly negotiated well, way back. We sort of started yeah. that conversation, but then he wasn't able to oh, uh, <laughs> organise 
travel and, and time and that sort of stuff. Alas. So unfortunately, we won't be having him down here. But um, he what he would have been part of, of that sort of mm-hmm. yeah, most uh, definitely. that tech hub sort of aspect of it. But um, yeah, no, certainly we've got around about thirty clinics. I think it is. Sure. Um, so yeah, there's a good variety, and there's a bunch of different prototype presentations. Um, on and obviously, sort of, you've got a, you've got a bunch of layouts coming as well. I mean, I was talking to John Garrity a couple of weeks ago associated with Coromel and the various repairs that he's doing. I'm not sure. I mean, my understanding is that Coromel will be one of the layouts that are there, but you, t- you tend to have some really interesting layouts that are displayed too, right? Yeah, well, we try and get a good variety of um, subjects and scales. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've got a new little ON30 Bush one, which I've just about finished, um, which is really just a, a small portable version of what I'm trying to achieve out in my, my home so- layout. Um, so that'll be there for the first time. I've, but I've, I haven't had time to actually get any rolling stock and locos assembled for that. So <laughs> the lighthouse done. Very so good. there's a few, there's a few guests coming along with, um, mm-hmm. some of their collection to, to throw around the track Very and good. give it a bit of a run. Um, there's some new radio control stuff, another Australian bush layout by Rod Hutchinson, who mm-hmm. you would have had on here a few times. So, and he's he's doing some really great little radio control installs. Um, one of the other, Australian narrow gauge sort of long time contributor Steve Pettit will be there. He's got a uh, quite crazy little GN15 uh, creation which he's been doing. He's sort of been dabbling with GN15 for probably 10, 12 years now mm-hmm. and finally sort of assembled enough pieces to put together a layout. Um, we've got some Tasmanian narrow gauge coming up with a guy called Simon Hamby. Wonderful. Um, so he's making a trip up from Tassie, so uh, technically an overseas uh, layout there. Um, but he's got a really nice 0014 Tasmanian layout, which is very different in its presentation. Mm. And it's, it's certainly done a lot of exhibitions and stuff, but um, it's probably for the modelers, though I think we have greater appreciation that essentially everything from the ground up on that layout is scratch built because nothing Wonderful. is available in, in that particular oh, yeah. era and style. And so. He's had to make his own mechanisms, cast his own wagons, and he's got a massive collection of stuff, and the scenery on it is top-notch. So, um, Yeah, they've got a, you know, some American stuff. There's some British stuff. Um, yeah, we've just tried to cover a, a whole whole range of um, different different um, subjects and gauges and scales um, to try and interest all. Um, we've got a guy coming along bringing some Japanese uh, 1 to 80th scale narrow gauge uh, stuff. So, yeah, it's, a, it's sort of funny that we, we almost steer away a little bit from the very typical RGS. Is <laughs> anything but RGS, I think, because right. it's, it's covered everywhere so, so frequently and uh, it's 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 nice to sort of highlight some of these little lesser known things and capture Certainly. some people's head. There's so much other reading and stuff for these, uh, not not so much commercial, but they're just the bigger, uh, the more obvious um, narrow gauge selections. It's, it's nice to pick some of these obscurities and mm-hmm. um, and find some very creative and talented modelling that comes out from those obscure sort of subject selections. So wonderful, wonderful. Well, you you may have heard this in a prior recording. You may not have. But um, I'm going to be in your part of the world. I'm going to be in Melbourne. But my aim is to spend a day heading up to your part of the world uh, when I am there. Although my wife may object, but we'll find a way around it. Um, because, no, I'm really looking forward to having the opportunity to actually meet you on location. Now, I know the end of year period is just absolutely hellish. Hopefully, it'll either be 
one side of the end of the year period or maybe even in uh, 2020. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to having the potential of possibly meeting you. Um, so please, uh, as the time comes a little closer, I will definitely be in contact to see where you're placed. Yeah, certainly. Although, no, you're more than welcome to head down this way. So, you know, yeah, there's plenty of good sites and things to see around this area, as well as, you know, if you want to drop in for, for a tour of the mess of what's in the, in the modeling shed, you're more than welcome. No, but, uh, I'm looking yeah, no, forward to the opportunity. So I'll, I'll coordinate with you because obviously, you know, with your work, you're very busy anyway, but I'll try to, uh, to find a, a time that works out. And I now have, more family, more of my family seems to be moving to Melbourne. Uh, the more time that goes by, more folks end up in Melbourne. So it's becoming more and more of an epicenter where Adelaide would have historically uh, been. Um, so, yes, end of year, uh, still yet to book flights or do anything like that, but uh, lots of activities planned. And my hope is that I'll be able to get to Geelong and spend, a, you know, maybe an afternoon, maybe an evening, whatever is available. Yeah, um, because no, no, uh, welcome. We'll accommodate where we can. Certainly, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be wonderful to have the opportunity to to see you in your element and actually experience your trees firsthand. Well, well, with any luck, I've, <laughs> <with the laughs> it's funny. Someone was talking to me the other day because <clears throat> in the lead up to the convention, you know, you know, if we go back, maybe I don't know, eighteen months, fifteen months ago, something like that, when we have all the grand plans of what it is you actually want to achieve in the lead up to the convention and what I want to bring along with that sort of stuff. And yeah. I had plans for, you know, a layout and a diorama and a structure entry and a locomotive entry. Mm. And we've got a, a special modeling category with like a little flats challenge. Mm-hmm. I want to have one of them. And we're now here three weeks out and I've nearly finished the layout <laughs> and I've just boxed up the diorama. But good. I can kiss the, uh, the locos and structures and all oh, the nice. other sort of great plans away. Uh, there's even a diorama sitting out in the in the shop, which has been under construction now for about, I think it's coming up 10 years. Mm. And I'm sure that every convention comes around, I'm like, this will be the year I'm going to finish this one, and <laughs> no, nothing happens. So I, I am hoping that once this convention is finished, uh, the, the attention does turn back to you know a bit more work on the home layout, because I've certainly got a massive stockpile of tree materials and stuff sitting there ready mm. to go. Um when I have friends point out, but you know, you work full time and you've got four kids and you're doing this and you're doing that, and it's like, when do I actually have time to do any of this modeling sort of stuff? Yes. That you go, yeah, I've got a reasonable excuse, I suppose, as to why things do look a little bit, you know, uh, uh, not, nothing has been happened in great sort of pace, but um, yeah, sometimes it's, uh, I look forward to retirement, <laughs> but I think I've got another 30 years before that happens. Oh, so. wow. Alas. Dan, it is always a pleasure chatting. It looks like this is going to be a short model rail radio, which I can't actually complain about because the weather has been horrible here up until t- today. So I've got sunlight behind me. Ah, but we have Murray Shills calling in. Ah, oh, oh, there's from a one Australian legend to another. Yes. Murray Shills. Let's see if we can get him on the call. He's just joined the call. Forget that whole short show rap. Um, <laughs> Dan, a pleasure as always. Really looking forward to having the possibility of uh of meeting you at the end of the year and all the best with the narrow gauge convention i know it takes a lot out of people and i'm as, as you noted your many uh many other hobbies <laughs> it is amazing that you're able to uh to pull this thing together on uh, every other year kind of basis but always wonderful to chat with you dan thank you very much for calling in thanks tom and good morning murray <laughs> hey dan 
How are you? I'm very good. Uh, I guess I'll be catching up with you in a few weeks' time, but I'll, I'll sit back and have a listen to this little chat with Tom with you. All right? Sounds have a good, good one. You too. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who I haven't had the opportunity to talk with in far, far too long. But when I think of model rail radio, when I think about the reasons that I do model rail radio somewhere between uh, Victoria and New South Wales in the, the border hinterland is Murray Shulls. And I reflect on, Murray, the evolution of your layout, the various ebbs and flows. I've missed catching up with you for, for quite some time. What has been going on with your model railroading hobby? Well, hello, Tom. It's really nice to catch up with you. And yes, it has been way too long. It's been one of those, I've had one of those periods in life where the hobby sort of had to take a back seat for mm. a while. And so, yeah, I haven't achieved a lot in the last couple of years, but I'm sort of back into it now mm -hmm. and uh, working on the layout, scratch building buildings, doing scenery, all the all the fun things, the things I enjoy in the hobby. Mm. And your son's at my alma mater, so congratulations. Do you, you have a few children that are yet to leave for university, though, right? So, is he the yes. is he is he the eldest? Yeah, he's the eldest. So, I, it doesn't feel right that I have a child that's at university. <laughs> um, um, I suppose now I have to admit that I'm an adult. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, your secret is safe here. You're amongst friends. Yeah. Let's just say that. So, okay. In terms of your layout, there were a few ebbs and flows. You made some changes. You. Uh, added some stuff. What are you thinking about now? What kind of stuff is interesting you associated with the model railroading hobby? So I've actually, um, I actually now have two layouts, Tom. Mm. So that's something a bit different. I, my main focus is still working on the ON30 Australian layout. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's coming along nicely. It's uh, like I said, I've been scratch building a lot of buildings and that sort of thing for it, trying to get scenes complete. Uh, making trees and grass, doing static grass <laughs> and all that sort of thing. And I've also started building a small SN3 layout because mm. I have a great love of the Denver and Rio Grande oh. Western. And um, I've, da I've dabbled in HON3 and ON3 in mm -hmm. the past and neither have sort of really ticked my boxes, but I'm, fi I'm quite enjoying working with SN3. I find it a really nice scale to work with mm. and... You know, the because of the narrow gauge uh, rolling stock being that little bit smaller than standard gauge, it's quite similar actually to a HO scale Certainly. rolling stock. So it sort of gives a really nice balance between the rolling stock and the structures and the scenery that you sort of don't get in the larger scales, I find, unless you've got enormous amounts of space, which unfortunately I don't have. Mm. You do come to the US occasionally. Have you been to... Uh one of the great SN3 houses of the US, or are you doing this all remotely through the internet? Uh, I'm doing most of it through the internet, but mm -hmm. yes, I in the past I've been fortunate enough, uh, went to Seattle a few years back and got to see um, Paul Scholes' beautiful oh, layout. Yes. Yes. I was very fortunate to see that before he passed away, and um, I also got to see Brian Ellaby's layout, which was amazing as well. It was a shame that it never got completed, but it was massive undertaking. That was a uh, what he'd finished was absolutely beautiful. Mm. And what manufacturers are you importing from for your SN3 layout? So mostly PBL. Mm -hmm. um, I've 
bought a few kits from Banter Model Works and from Rags to Riches. eBay's been a great help because <laughs> SN3 is not as common as the other scales, Certainly. of course. So, yeah. So, yeah, mucking around, it sort of, I know it's sort of, um, when you've got two different prototypes modelling, it sort of halves your budget in both time and dollars. Hmm. But I'm finding that when I lost interest in one layout, I tend to be more focused on the other one. So it sort of hmm. seems to be a bit more win-win. Are, are both layouts in the same structure or are they actually in separate locations? No, they're in the same shed. I've mm-hmm. built the SN3 layout under the ON30 layout. Oh, okay, interesting. So, interesting. Yeah. So, but yeah, like I said before, the ON30 layout's still my main focus and um, I've really got a bit of a push on to try and get some scenes finished on it. So, hmm. uh, yeah. Denver see how Rio we go. Grande. I mean, when I think of Denver Rio Grande, it's a lot more hilly and, you know, it's got a lot more rocks and other stuff compared to your your other layout. So it's interesting that you're doing it underneath. Are you modelling any of, like, the dips and gorges and stuff? I mean, how are you doing that in the kind of... I mean, I've, I get a sense that your, your, your original layout is, what, a kind of chest height, if not slightly below. So you don't have a lot of room underneath to actually do a lot of the, you know, undulations and stuff that I associate with Denver and Rio Grande. That's exactly right, Tom. Um, and... The purpose for the current layout, it is uh, relatively level. Mm -hmm. I haven't got very much scenery on it at all yet. It's more a sort of a test track um, Mm. to uh, learn, yeah, learn about the scale, about what radiuses work, um, all that sort of stuff. Practice on doing um, American scenery, which is quite different to Australian scenery. Mm. A lot more pine trees in America than there are here. Certainly. Yeah, so that sort of thing. So it's more, I see it more as a test layout at the moment. But yes, it is a bit low. It's too low to be practical, really. But um, I, I really didn't want to take down any of the ON30 layout. And yeah, so, and it's because it's such a large undertaking. Um, because it's a 28 by 28 foot shed that mm. the layout's in, and the ON30 layout takes the whole of that. So I've just got a loop underneath one of the peninsulas for the SN3 layout. And in terms of the SN3 layout, you've mentioned some structures. Obviously, the potential for workshops and, you know, sheds and a wide variety of other things on this particular prototype is very good. And obviously, looking at your original layout, you like building structures. So what kind of fun are you having associated with the structures on your SN3 layout? Probably the biggest thing I'm finding different is that uh, on the ON30 layout, I nearly I scratch built probably 90% of the structures. Mm, interesting. And the SN3 layout is all, has so far been all kits, which mm. it's really amazing how much quicker a kit goes together <laughs> than scratch building. Yes, um, certainly. Because my last scratch build building in the o, on the ON30 layout is a brick structure, and I mm. actually scribed all the brickwork in. I Gosh. didn't use brick sheet, which sounded a good idea at the time, and it has come up really well, but golly, it's time-consuming. Yes, yes. That seems extraordinarily time-consuming. <laughs> uh, well, in contrast then, I guess, so what you're saying is that the the techniques are completely different. You're utilising a lot of the, you know, existing stuff in SN3, 
But, I mean, you seem to be capturing a different aspect of the hobby with regards to this SN3 layout. Is that the way you're viewing it? Yeah, I do. And that's one of the things I really like about the Rio Grande is I always have viewed it as a sort of a little a little railway doing a big railway's job, mm-hmm. you know. I've always loved Marshall Pass where they used to haul coal, mm-hmm. uh, unit coal trains over a 4% grade. You know, they used to need four large engines to get 20 uh, cars of coal over the pass. So, um and that's quite different to, say, the Australian-Victorian narrow gauge, which Certainly. was uh, often they only used to run one train a week and it would be a mixed train with both <laughs> passengers and freight. Oh, yes. And there'd be a little bit, you know, so they're quite different sort of characters. And Certainly. I enjoy both, but they sort of don't fit together. So that's why I've sort of decided that it's easier to do uh, two things that I like and be more satisfied that way. So it sounds like, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. It sounds like eventually the SN3 is going to come out from under the the original OM30 layout and that, I mean, do you foresee taking a number of the structures off? Do you foresee running it in a similar space? Are you going to build another shed? What's what's the thought process associated with the evolution of this layout? That's a good question, Tom. Eventually, um, I will, when I get round to retirement, which is as one gets older, creeps up a bit closer. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll probably move when we get to retirement age, which mm-hmm. means that I'll be moving to a whole new location, which mm-hmm. means a whole new building. Hopefully, I'll be able to have a train room inside the house, which would be nice. And <laughs> it'll be interesting to see. I can't say which layout will be the dominant layout mm-hmm. when we get we'll get there. So, you know, it's not going to happen anytime soon unless circumstances change, but um, I've got five or ten years at least to um, build structures and rolling stock, and we'll see which one is the more dominant one when we get there. Wow, the battle of the two layouts. (laughs) Murray, yes, this is very, very interesting, interesting times. As I said to Dan Picard, there is potential for me to be coming through your part of the world uh, at the end of this year. So I know the end of the year is just the worst possible time to see anyone, uh, but my hope is that I'll be able to do it at some civilised time well before, well, probably at least a week before uh, the, the curtain falls on the festive period. So, um, yeah, if I am coming through your part of the world, because my wife has talked about wanting to road trip from uh, Canberra down to Melbourne, um, I'd certainly love to look you up and I'll, I'll drop oh, you an email. Well, and, uh, yes, definitely. Please do, Tom, because we're only 20 minutes off the highway. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a room here. You'd be most welcome to stay if that suited oh, you. And, um, I'd be delighted to show you the layout and yeah, our farm. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. The area. Yeah. My brother so, actually be- has a job now which gets him down to your part of the world with the federal grant program. So okay. I've, I've mentioned your name and your, your business and your area to him because he gets down there periodically. Um, so you may, you may see another Barbelay. Um, he's he's the far more attractive. He's he's the youngest of the Barbalays. <laughs> far more attractive, intelligent. He he basically got all the good genes, and I'm just at the other end of the scale. So yeah, you you may see the name Barbalay in your area as well. But um, certainly at the end of the year, um, if we do road trip it down, um, I'll most definitely look you up. And uh, I have to you know I have to do certain things with my wife to ease her into the extreme nature of model <laughs> rail radio fandom. Uh, but I've, I'll put in a number. Of, I've already put in a few good words for you. Um, so oh, very we'll see good. How it yes, goes. 
we'd be delighted to see you. And there's plenty of things in the area that um, mm. can entertain Michelle. That's not <laughs> trains. There's lots of nice wineries and Wonderful. good food and Wonderful. all sorts of things. My my wife's a foodie, so mm, very good. Um, we could make sure you were well entertained. Very good. Well, I'll certainly I'll certainly keep that um, in mind. And I, as soon as I get off this call. I will do another pitch to to Michelle associated <laughs> with the the uh, you know hinterland between New South Wales and Victoria because yeah if we do road trip and she look for all our crazy about ten more than ten years ago now actually not maybe ten years ago we did the first time in Australia cross country road trip Sydney Adelaide you know every possible direction we had a number of really amazing experiences including. Michelle getting a speeding ticket for about $250 in the middle of the hay plane. Um, so yeah, well, that wouldn't be hard to do. <laughs> believe me. Um, and, yeah, and, and nearly running out of uh, petrol as every petrol station uh, through the areas that we were going through seemed to be closed or just mysteriously had petrol uh, just at the start of the week, mate. So, <laughs> so we've, we've already done that, but mysteriously she wants to come back for more. So, um, yeah, we may be coming through your part of the world, and if we do... I will definitely uh, let you know well in advance um, because your layout and your area are just meeting you. Um, certainly someone, like I said, who I think probably within the first six months of recording Model Rail Radio, I think you were probably our first serious Australian guest. Um, so certainly, Murray, it would be a wonderful opportunity to have the chance to meet with you. And similarly, if you ever come to California, you have a place to stay here and... Uh, We've got a lot of stuff to see and, and do. I know with your business, you occasionally uh, come to this part of the world. So if you are in the San Francisco Bay Area, please let me know. And we can certainly put you up or at least take you out to a meal. So. Oh, that'd be terrific, Tom. I'd like that. Um, unfortunately, no plan, no trips planned at the moment. Alas. Maybe in the next couple of years, we definitely get that happening. Yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Well, Murray, always good catching up. Really interested to hear about this uh I, I wanted to ask you just before we we round this this off. The Narragage Convention. You're obviously heading there. Any clinics? Yes. Any things that you're looking for? Any choice items? Obviously, now you're in SN3. You've got a bunch of additional potential purchases. <laughs> what are you thinking about with regards to this year's Narragage Convention? Uh, I always enjoy the convention mostly as a catch up with people. Mm -hmm. um, it's really I really enjoy catching up with the friends I've made over the many many conventions I've been to. Hmm. Um, I'm really looking forward to some of the clinics. Uh, Dan's scenery clinic on his bush module, which will, hmm. I'm sure will be excellent. Um, there's some uh, figure painting clinics, I think, I'm looking at the program, which look really good. I've, yeah, it's always hard to know what's, what, uh, what things will catch your attention when you're there, but <laughs> I always come away from a convention feeling motivated and um, inspired by the work. Sometimes mm. it's always it can be a bit intimidating. Some of the quality of the work that's there, but I think it's a it's always a wonderful opportunity to catch up with friends. I reckon Certainly. that's for me that's the real highlight. Wonderful. It's just the nature of the model railroading hobby, Murray. It's just the nature it is. of the hobby. It is. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, definitely. A pleasure chatting with you as always. Please don't be a stranger. Now you've got this new layout. You've got to call back in, give us periodic updates because it's been far too long since we last had the chance to chat. But it sounds like onwards and upwards in the hobby. Definitely. Yes. Yes. No, looking forward to it. And thanks for uh, chatting, Tom. It's been great to catch up. Always a pleasure.
Mike O'Donoghue here. One thing I wanted to point out is that the National Narrow Gauge Convention is in Sacramento this uh, Labor Day weekend. Ooh, good to know. The National Narrow Gauge in Sacramento this Labor Day weekend. Yes. <sighs> and so, uh, that, I think a bunch of us are going to go up there. So uh, um, it's it's not a lot of detail on their website yet, which is unusual because these guys tend to be fairly uh, newsworthy at this time. Mm. Well, thank you, Mike. And, uh, well, we need to plan something then for September. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Sacramento for September sounds wonderful. And uh, if they gather together the usual group of folk, I mean, if folks like, you know, Jim Gore and, and co head out and right. Dr. McCree, that's a, that's a good party. That's a party worth attending. So I will put it in the calendar and thank you. Yeah, one of these days, I'll have to get down to your neighborhood and we can talk about my gifted and talented son Most and all definitely. that fun stuff he's doing. And, uh, Most definitely. He's having a good time. So It's a good time to be young and smart. Unfortunately, I'm old and neither. So. <laughs> well, but yes. you do. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, mean I, got you, I got you beat on the age level you and then you got me beat on the smarts level. So, uh, I don't know I'm about the, that. But anyway. I'm the caboose. But, uh, <laughs> It's like I say, it's not like my kid is the smartest kid in the world. He's he's only like number two or number three. So, oh, uh, yes. So, okay, well, we'll keep in touch. Definitely, definitely. Thank you, Mike, for that. And, yes, we should uh, we should do a nice lead up to the American Narrow Gauge Convention, as we do every, every time there's an Australian Narrow Gauge Convention as well. So, well noted, yeah. well noted. Uh, are you going to go to Britain for the, for the NMRA, the um, NMRA National? When is that? 2022, I believe. So 2021. I'm going to the UK. <laughs> um, so my time period is going back to the UK in five months. And okay. then I'll probably need to go back for something. To go back for a train show, my preference would probably be, although the NMRA UK is obviously going to be a great opportunity to see UK-related train stuff as well, but my preference would probably be to go to the 16 millimeter convention just oh, because yeah. that that's for me at least personally has way more interest and i might actually walk away from that with a rather expensive locomotive whereas i mean maybe they're showing that at the thing um the nmra you know well maybe the 16 mil folk will be there too who knows um probably will so but yeah, yeah i i hadn't planned on honestly i plan my international travel in a year basis so the fact that i'm talking about australia I haven't even booked the tickets yet for Australia, but as soon as as soon as April, you know, comes around to some seriousness, probably towards the end of April, I'll have the tickets booked for Australia. But I, unfortunately, I'm in a kind of year to year with regards to my international travel. Um, in month to month, as would happen. I don't even know where I will be in, in that. I mean, I'm assuming I'll still be in California, but um, I may have reasons to go back if I do the math um, to actually you know, buy a house in this kind of time period. So, yeah, um, yeah I may be back in uh, the UK for that, but I hadn't thought about specifically that yet. I'm still working out where I'm going to be this year. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, I, I was aware that it was coming up in the UK um, in that kind of time frame. I just can't make a commitment to do anything at this stage, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. So just wanted to bring it up. Mm -hmm. and, Thank you. Uh, 
Thank you. So, hey, and one one more thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, S S scale. The S scalers seem to have formed a really good family or community between S scale, American Flyer, and Narrow Gauge. They seem to mm-hmm. kind of um, they work well together. You know, they mm-hmm. play well together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think certainly S scale. I mean, when I said houses. I Murray assumed I meant houses as in open houses. I meant that, but also there are kind of boutique, particularly brass scale houses where I think yes. actual manufacturers in the U.S. Um, uh-huh. My first and really only meaningful exposure outside the national is seeing that at um, what is it called the Chicago uh, Des Plaines hobbies. Which oh is yeah, a, a uh, substantial yeah. Uh, S scale section, including uh, SN three. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no, there's so much interesting stuff that's going on there. Mike, I think we're going to wrap this show up a little early here. Okay. It's, as you well know, it's a beautiful summer's or it's a it's a summerish day yes. in California. So I feel obligated to wrap this thing up and probably go out and get into the garden, do some stuff. There you go. Um, but thank you, thank you for calling in and thank you for providing some updates. So. Sounds good. Okay, well, we'll talk to you later. Terrific. So, a short show for Model Rail Radio today, but Dan Pickard, Murray calling in. I mean, what more do you need? And, of course, Mike O'Dorney providing the local flavor as well. So really wonderful to have the opportunity to catch up with Murray and Dan. Like I've been saying, hopefully at the end of the year, I will be able to uh, to meet both gentlemen on location and finally see. You've, you've got to imagine the anticipation that I have talking to folks, you know, month after month on Model Rail Radio. To finally see layouts is always a really interesting and fascinating experience because sometimes you've seen photographs, sometimes even you've seen videos but actually to physically be in the space of the layout, to smell the layout, to, you know, get a sense of the, the quality. And certainly both these gentlemen have a, a long history of not only, you know, being in the hobby, but also teaching people and inspiring people in the hobby. So I'm really looking forward to uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, if we're road tripping, get to Murray's place. And uh, if we're just in the Melbourne area and uh, I have a day that I can escape uh, going up and seeing Dad. So thank you folks for, uh, for participating in today's recording, and thanks to the folks for listening in. It says evening, but it feels more like afternoon. I'm going to say good afternoon. Good afternoon, Tom. And good afternoon, Tom. <laughs>